Hello, good morning. This is the idea of life presented to you by Musebe. Now, last time I was talking about an introduction of life of the things we wanted to happen in our lives. But today, let me take you a step further and think about something else. So let me talk about the good life today. Everyone is in pursuit of the good life. We do certain things because we want to achieve a life which will make us happy and content. By studying and working hard, we try to attain this goal not only for ourselves but also for our loved ones and the rest of humanity. People's definition of the good life may vary and define the particulars. In general, however, we recognize universal truths that cut across our differences. So we have the Nicomachean ethics and the modern concepts. Aristotle, an important ancient Greek philosopher whose work spans from natural philosophy to logic and political theory, attempted to explain what the good life is. His definition may be useful in our pursuit of the truth. So in Nicomachean ethics, Aristotle said this, all human activities aim at some good. Every act and human inquiry, and similarly every action and pursuit, is thought to aim at some good. And for this reason, the good has been rightly declared as that at which all things aim. So everyone is moving towards the good, thus completing one's studies, training for sport, or taking a rest is good. The good is expressed and manifested in many various ways for different persons and circumstances. The good life, however, is more than those countless expressions of what is good. It is characterized by happiness that springs from living and doing well. But the many and the cultivated call it happiness and suppose the living well and doing well are the same as being happy. Okay, so the ancient Greeks called this concept of living well or doing well as eudaimonia. So, eudaimonia, the word came from the Greek word you, meaning good, and daimon, meaning spirit. So, taken together, it generally refers to the good life, which is marked by happiness and excellence. It is a flourishing life filled and meaningful endeavors that empowers the human person to be the best version of himself or herself. If one is a student, then he or she acts to be the best version of a student by studying well and fulfilling the demands of school. If one is an athlete, he or she strives to be the best version of an athlete by training hard as well as joining and winning in sports competition. Furthermore, according to Aristotle, happiness is the ultimate end of human action. It is indeed that which people pursue for its own sake. So financial stability for one's family, the power achieved from winning the elections or the harmony and peace as a reward for taking care of the environment, all these are more are pursued for the sake of happiness. Now, such a thing as happiness above all else is held to be. For this, we choose always for itself and never for the sake of something else. But honor, pleasure, reason, and every virtue we choose indeed for themselves. But we choose them also for the sake of happiness, judging 
that by means of them we shall be happy, happiness, or the other hand, no one chooses for anything other than itself. So happiness defines a good life. This happiness, however, is not the kind that comes from sinset pleasures. It is that which comes from a living, a life of virtue, a life of excellence, manifested the personal to the global scale. Okay? So, for example, making sure that one avoids sugary, processed foods to keep healthy is an activity that expresses virtue. The resulting health adds to one well-being and happiness. Another example is taking care of the environment through proper waste management, which results in a clean environment and adds to people's well-being and happiness. These virtuous actions require discipline and practice. On the other hand, activities contrary to virtue are those which do not result in happiness. The lack of discipline in eating healthy foods eventually makes one sick. The lack of concern for the environment destroys the earth we live in. Thus, disregard for virtuous actions, especially for the sake of convenience and gratification, does not contribute to happiness. The good life is marked by happiness brought about by virtuous human actions and decisions that affect the individual self and greater community. It is characterized by a life of flourishing of oneself of others. The good life does not happen in a bubble where only one person is flourishing. Others have to be in too. Yeah, like virtue plays a significant role in the living and attainment of the good life. It is the constant practice of the no matter how difficult the circumstances may be. So virtue is the excellence of character that empowers one to do and be good. Such virtue is cultivated with everyone and has the capacity within himself or herself to be good. But he or she has to be disciplined to make a habit of exercising the good. So virtue then, being of two kinds, we have the intellectual and the moral. Intellectual virtue is the main or its birth and growth to teaching, for which reason it requires experience and time, while the moral virtue comes about as a result of habit. So, the onward progress of science and technology is also the movement towards the life. So, science and technology are one of the highest expressions of human faculties. They allow us to thrive and flourish in life if we have so desired it. So science and technology may also corrupt a person, but grounding oneself in virtue will help him or her steer clear in danger. So I hope today it was just an introduction of the contrary understanding of life, the meaning of happiness or the good life. So next time I'm going to take you through another step of understanding. That was just a vicious introduction of the things I wanted you to know. Thank you. Hello, let's try this third episode. I'm your host, Musebe. So the good life was talked about in our last episode. We understand eudaimonia and the understanding of ethics and moral and excellence in a good life. So today let me take you to a brief introduction of the good life versus the moral duties. So many philosophers have regarded ethics or morality as decisive in authority. In other words, if you believe that some act, let's say X, is morally right to do, or rescue someone, for example, 
and the act truly is morally right and it would be wrong for you not to do it for you ask but should i do it would seem odd at best it will be like asking should i do what i should do this seems dangerously close to is the color red red one can of course ask why an apple appears red and why some act is right but once you are convinced that an act is right or you're seeing red further questioning seems confused so the above model has been challenged by a book written by Susan Wolf and Bernard Williams and others they claim that they are great non-moral goods these are goods like writing poetry entertaining friends performing in the opera romantic love which are good but they are not good because of some moral duty or ethical virtue arguably most poets are not writing poetry out of moral duty except perhaps if they have entered into a contract with a publisher or a whatnot so wolf and other philosophers have contended that being a good person and living a good life can provide grounds for you not doing what is right or even doing what is wrong from a moral point of view imagine you are a great painter married with children in Kenya although you are promised to support them you feel such an urge to go to south pacific to paint that that, that you abandon them leaving them vulnerably to poverty but not utterly destitute go to an island and produce some of the finest post-impressionist paintings the world has ever seen. Your work enriches the eyes, the, the aesthetic lives of million people. And at the end of the day, it is possibly or plausibly to claim that you ultimately did the right thing, even though you broke your vow of supporting a family, which you believe and everyone believes was your ethical duty. So, Such a thought experiment is sometimes described as admirable immorality. How you might tension to be resolved. This is some reason to think that William thought the tension can be resolved. I say William because I'm referring to a person X. So admittedly, the urgency of these duties would pale before stringent moral obligations, but some broadening of a conception of what persons should do can and perhaps even should include things like the cultivation of beauty or the very idea of duties and obligations which may look moralistic or look too burdensome and thus more to resist so first of all let me introduce this small topic the egoism so psychological egoism is the view that persons by nature always act ultimately upon some perceived self-interest so ethical egoism is the view that one ought to act out of self-interests if one fully understands the situation such an ethical type was popularized in the 20th century by Ayn Rand in her essays and novels some philosophers deny that egoism should be recognized as an ethical theory as ethics involves impartial this interested inquiry a reply to this charge is that egoism can be defended on the grounds of impartial reflection in the worn out but useful phrase 
a rose that beautifies itself beautifies the whole garden. One of the most prominent and forceful critics of psychological and ethical egoism was Bishop Joseph in the 18th century, if I remember well. Also, criticized the popular secular egoism of Western Europe according to which, if one pursues his own best interest, the best interest of society will be pursued. I mean, if I like playing the guitar to myself and children will come around me, I think they will be pursued to enjoy the music I'm playing, even if it is from my own interest. So, definitely, that was just the introduction of ethics of the good life and the moral duties. But in my next episode, I'm going now to go deep down and explore more ways of talking about the egoism and the contrary understanding of egoism in the ethical versions of human nature. Thank you. <laughs>